This episode of Back in My Play is brought to you by RetroFixes.com, the best place to get your consoles repaired and revitalized so they're working just like they did when you took them out of the package. Check it out at RetroFixes.com. Hey everyone, before we get into this awesome episode, I need to talk about the Patreon support at patreon.com slash back in my play. Starting last episode, I began offering that final retro video game discussion segment exclusive to Patreon supporters. That's the segment that is separate from the main discussion of the episode. So for example, we're going to talk about Gunstar Heroes today. That last segment has nothing to do with Gunstar Heroes. It's just whatever's on the top of our minds, the things that we want to talk about with the people that are still on the show. And I'm doing that because the support through Patreon is more important now than ever because this show is part of the Fitcast ass network. It's part of a business and I'm producing them every single week, which is a lot of work. So I want to say thank you to the people that are supporting the show through Patreon. And I'm that, that's how I'm going to do it. So I understand not everyone can support the show through Patreon. I totally understand that. Uh, but I hope you know if, if you are capable of doing it, you can do it at just $1 per episode. So it's going to be 4 to $5 per month. That will get you access to the RSS feed. That will get you the extra segment built into the episodes. You don't need to download it separately. And you're going to help me produce this show every single week. That, that support, like I said, is more important now uh, than ever. And I, that's how I want to say thank you. So I, I hope you understand. And I'm still going to have tons of great shows for you. Promise. I've already recorded a couple of them. And again, just that last segment is going to be a, a thank you to the Patreon supporters for helping me make this show every single week. Thank you so much. And let's get to the show. Hello, welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 67. We are finally talking about Gunstar Heroes. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and I have two fantastic guests for this episode, just two historians when it comes to not only video games, but uh, this game in particular and Sega Genesis content as well. It's been a while since I've talked to this first person. You would know him from the Player One podcast, Generation 16, and he even, God, he even like switched sides. He's doing... Super Nintendo videos now. <laughs> What's going on, Greg? Well, you know, I just want an excuse to play Super Nintendo games. I did a did the the launch segment for the Super Famicom in a, a recent Generation sixteen mm-hmm. episode, and it's just like, man, I, I have a fairly decent Super Nintendo collection. Why aren't I playing them? And uh, it's just sort of, I know, I'll just do videos, and that way I have an excuse to play them. Kind of the same reason I started Generation sixteen. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's. Uh it's the internet and it's and it's the the way of things today where we all know that Super Nintendo and Nintendo stuff in general gets more hits anyway so you get yep. to balance it out and uh that's the kind of the same thing with this show although the last Yeah, thing pretty much. Mind, yeah. It's uh it's the last thing on my mind yeah. is download numbers but it's uh, kind of the the way of the world and you heard him on the last episode that we did where we talked about a video game not talking about Castlevania or Konami today. That's Kurt Collada from Hardcore Gaming 101.net. Kurt, how you doing? Hello again. And and we brought you on uh, specifically because you kind of like wrote uh, much of the information that I was able to find on this game. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to bug Kurt again and I'm going to try to get him back on the show because it's not going to be 
a great show without Kirk Collada helping us talk uh, about this game. So thank you so much for for taking the time to to come back on. Oh, thank you again. Uh, so as I mentioned before, we're going to be talking about Gunstar Heroes and. I picked up this great Mega Drive uh, Volume 1 collection, a great CD set that features Gunstar Heroes, of course, being one of the best soundtracks on the Sega Genesis. Uh, again, John Riccardi, Mark McDonald, if you need some more Sega Genesis music, oh, here's, here's, a, here's a soundtrack that you should probably pick up, but I'm not going to buy this one for you, or I should say Greg and I aren't going to buy it for you. So um, we are going to take a break. You're going to get to listen to some more of this soundtrack. And then we're going to come back with the very fascinating history of this game. So stick around. Here's some music from Gunstar Heroes. Fantastic Games history, and uh, I was not able to find a ton on this game, like I said, until I went to to Kurt's website, so I'm going to have him talking about this game a little bit. I'm just going to quickly mention, of course, this is a treasure game. This was uh, published by Sega, uh, treasure being a second-party uh, developer for Sega at the time. The, the composer for the game was Norio uh, Hanzawa, uh, who also composed music for the Simpsons arcade game for Konami uh, Alien Soldier, uh, and Bucky O'Hare was also a Konami Alien Soldier, obviously came later after those folks left Konami. The game released on September 10th, 1993 in Japan, and one day earlier in North America in 1993, I am still never very sure about how uh, accurate those dates could have been because... The game dates, release dates were still kind of a little iffy at that point. The Japanese stuff seems to be a little bit more accurate these days. I apologize, folks. Again, another game that I couldn't find cool commercials for. I did find a, a really great Japanese commercial that was about 15 seconds long, but uh, the video quality is, is so terrible. And, of course, it's in Japanese, so most of the target audience of this show is not going to be able to understand anything that's going on. Go on YouTube if you want to check it out. It's, it's maybe worth taking a look real quick. So um, this was a, a cool anecdote, and then I'm going to actually have – Kurt hit on a lot of this stuff because he literally wrote it. I just copy and pasted stuff from from his piece. So uh, this is a cool anecdote from uh, the Wikipedia article, though. Uh, according to former Sega of America producer Mark uh, Senior, Treasures Gunstar Heroes was re- rejected by 12 of Sega's producers and associate producers primarily because of its small sprites before he decided to pick it up and get the game released. He also revealed that he, quote, made only one real tra- change. There's a boss in a military uniform, and in the original version, he was Hitler because, you know, Japan loves to use Hitler as the final bad guy in their video games, a la Bionic Commander. Uh, I asked them to remove the mustache or change the character, and from uh, you know the most part, 
it is uh, still a menacing looking character, even without the the Hitler mustache. So now that's uh, the guy that looks like M. Bison, right? I believe it is not. It's the guy no. in the green, oh, the the green uh, jacket. Yeah. The, okay. Like the main, main bad guy. And, and it's orange. Like, okay. Orange. I thought it was orange. Oh, it orange. Like it sounds like he's describing orange when I read that. Because yeah. orange is in military fatigues, right? Yeah. And, and he's, he's, got a, the, he's got the cropped hair and everything as well. I, I sort of feel like it wasn't like the bad guy wasn't really Hitler. He just looked a little bit too much like Hitler, which I can understand. <laughs> yeah, put that. That's that's something that the ER, ESRB checks out a lot. These, well, I guess that wouldn't be a problem. That's not even a funny joke. Anyways, um, like I said, Kurt, you you wrote uh, a bunch of stuff on this, and I, I copy and pasted a bunch of stuff in there. But uh, I guess one of the things that that stood out to you, you, as you brought up in the article, there's a really fascinating history with this development team uh, before they made this game and, and why they made it. Uh well. The treasure came from a bunch of programmers from Konami, and there's a lot of a lot of legends around them. And trying to figure out what's real, what's not, is a little bit difficult because you know a lot of the treasure fan base sprung around around uh, diehard game fan magazine, which was mm-hmm. n- more known for their enthusiasm than their accuracy. <laughs> so, uh, treasure was sort of established as a company that grew from the people that made Castlevania and Contra, mm-hmm. which isn't entirely wrong, but it's not super accurate either. Like. Uh, one of the, the, one of the founders of the company who is, I think even now the president today, he was like the programmer on Castlevania Adventure for the Game Boy. Mm. Um, and, uh, Nori Hanza, he worked for them. One of the, the programmers who worked on Contra 3, he was, uh, one of the main developers now. Uh, but it's, it's kind of, it's not really correct to say that these were the people that made Castlevania Contra. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still sort of sprang for that. And it's, these parallels are easy to see because they, they carry the same sort of, um, almost philosophy in uh, game design and graphic design and just technical prowess. Mm-hmm. So you could definitely see it's like, well, these guys were um, sprung from the same cloth. And there's also a sort of romanticism around them that these were the guys that left Konami to create their own stuff. They, they said for a long time that they weren't going to do sequels. They're always going to do originals. So they had that sort of like independent spirit versus the corporatism of Konami. Mm-hmm. And again, that's sort of like surrounded the stuff they do, which again, it's a little over romanticized, even though it's not necessarily wrong. Uh, oh, sorry, Greg, Greg, go ahead. Yeah, actually, just to, to further that, because what you're saying is everything I remember being a sort of a Sega fanboy back in the 90s when Treasure came on the scene. And it's funny that you mentioned Die Hard because uh, I was sort of looking back, uh, we'll talk about this later, but Die Hard is totally who, who introduced Treasure to the Sega fan base, like mm. in the U.S., completely. But I actually came across an interview uh, that they did with uh, Masato Magawa, um, who is who was the president then of Treasure. I don't know if he still is, but um, he even put like in that interview, in his own words, he's pointing out, like, "We're not going to do licenses." He was talking about they left Konami because their big games were TMNT and Castlevania, and they were stuck in the cycle of sequels because it was safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean that that whole thing grew not only from Die Hard, but from I think that interview uh, from his own words saying, "You know, we're not we're not gonna we're gonna do uh, original stuff." But then it's funny because their second game was uh, Ronald McDonald game. So, <laughs> yeah, the thing with Treasure <laughs> is uh, they're split between the stuff that they actually want to do and their contract work. Yeah, exactly. And generally, you can tell the difference between them, except for like the Yu Hakusho and Bleach games, mm-hmm. which uh, they're they're very interesting fighting games. But uh, other than that, like uh, Wario World was something they did for the GameCube that was clearly just, well, we need money to right. keep the lights on sort of money. 
So where where is Treasure at today as a developer? Has it broken up, or are they still are they making like mobile games? Did you guys, Kurt, you know? They there was a thread about it on NeoGAF uh, a month or two ago, and they're still like operating, but mm-hmm. like they've they've always been a very small company. Like a lot of these companies in Japan. They have just like a small core staff and then they'll, you know, hire people on to help out with things or uh, get contractors and things like that. And right now, like they still exist. But as to what they do, I know, like they've ported Ikaruga to the PC a couple Mm -hmm. years ago. And that was there's some other thing called uh, Geist Crusher, which Mm -hmm. I think was a 3DS game is another one. Their contract work, uh, which never left Japan. Uh, but outside of that, like uh, Garden Heroes getting ported to the mm-hmm. Xbox 360 rating, Silver Gun getting ported. Um, there's always a rumor that there'd be a follow-up to Ikaruga. But uh, the guy who was in charge of that game, I think his name is Hirochi Uchi, he's with M2 now. Uh, so he's working on whatever thing with them. Fascinating. Uh, so as far as them, like, they don't not exist. But as to what they do for money, you know, who knows? Oh geez, that's that's a sad state of uh, you know some of our favorite uh, old Japanese developers. They're kind of you know a lot of them working on either mobile games or doing like you said. They're kind of just falling apart, or we're kind of getting lost in history. Yeah, I mean maybe like uh, the president's still paying rent from residuals for licensing Gunstar Heroes, and right. you know, that's pretty much it. Uh, I, I always wished that you know companies like Treasure would would turn into more of a a developer like WayForward, uh, where they would continue mm. to make these like retro, retro inspired or retro looking games because their teams are so small, like they can still uh, put together these these games that would would hopefully still sell on like the 3ds platform, your your PlayStation Networks, Xbox Live, Steam, uh, and all those all those platforms. But um, and even as a contractor, but uh, you know that's why they left in the first place. So maybe they don't want to make another Contra or make another. Um, you know, Castlevania, if, if Konami wanted to do anything with their franchises. So um, that's that's my dream. I think it has something to do with them just being a Japanese company. Like, WayForward mm-hmm. is a little bit more in tune with uh, the Western market, because especially when they're releasing their stuff on digital distribution platforms and yeah. on Steam and all that sort of stuff. Whereas Treasure was, you know, they're familiar with the console landscape. They're still mm-hmm. dipping their toes into Steam and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, they might be able to tune themselves to do something, you know, like along the lines of Shovel Knight or Shantae, mm-hmm. uh, but they just haven't. It's a bummer. Uh, I mean, it, it seems like Japan is slowly coming along when it comes to the digital distribution stuff and, and getting things on Steam. Uh, so maybe it's just one of those things where they're a couple years behind, but hopefully they can catch up because it's such untapped uh, potential when it comes to selling stuff and, and making a bunch of extra money. Um Let's hope. But uh, I wanted to uh, also quickly mention uh, that the the game itself uh, got a a port to the Game Gear on March 24th, 1995, oddly enough, also done by by M2. And this game, I actually uh, got to look up some some footage of the Game Gear version, and it's super impressive. Like, it it looks fantastic. Um, It's a really great-looking game, and... uh, Kurt, you also mentioned in the in the article itself that the game was ported in the Sega Ages treasure box, um, and you mentioned that the port was excellent with many display options available. If you're a stickler, including progressive scan mode, true low res, and a scan line mode, only the sound suffers a bit due to the notoriously difficult to emulate Mega Drive sound chip. And like this is what 
this is exactly what Kurt and I were talking about on the Castlevania episode where I, there's this this hope in in me that still these games are not going to be forgotten like if you can put together fantastic collections like this this is the stuff that we need to uh support very much like the Sega 3D Classics collections that we're seeing mm. on the 3DS right now um and, and again you mentioned that there's also like concept art you can also unlock the original design document which has all kinds of of trivia like that is just a absolute love letter to that game, which is fantastic to see. Uh, Kurt, have you played any of the Game Gear version of this? Yeah, I mean, back when I originally wrote the article. And again, it's it's one of those things that's super impressive just from a technical standpoint, because the Game Gear was not not a powerful system. Mm. Uh, but I, what they were able to do with it was really cool. Greg, have you tried any of that? I have not tried the Game Gear version of it. I've seen some footage of it. Um, you don't and, have $300 yeah. sitting around to, to pick up a copy on eBay? Is no. what they're going for? Is that how no, much? No. Let me I'll take a look to see how much that is. I, I don't think it's super expensive, really. But um, then again, who knows the prices lately? Maybe it, maybe it was just like one of those things where people were asking for $300 but didn't get $300 kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and and I, was this one of the games that was rumored to have potentially gotten a – master system release in brazil like that's the rumor yeah. i always heard that pop up but no one's ever actually seen this game on a master system cart right i don't think it exists okay yeah, my understanding is that's been debunked or it could be there There were maybe bootlegs because there are people that sort of hack game gear games to run on a master system mm-hmm. and maybe that exists because i have a few of those for game gear games uh but as far as official releases i mean Everything about Tech Toy has pretty much been found its way on the English speaking internet, and they were the ones who did all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's no record of them releasing it, so it's probably not a thing. Very, very fascinating. Um, and in terms of reception for this game, it got Best Action Game of 1993 by by EGM, and this game's always popping up in Retro Gamer Magazine, which is a, is a fantastic resource for people out there if you don't mind paying a little bit extra to get it shipped to the states, or if you're in Europe, even better, you get it uh, for a lot cheaper. But um, it is often praised uh, in the print edition of the magazine and is also included among the top 10 Mega Drive games in its online version, describing it as an, quote, outrageously good platformer shooter that features dazzling graphics, a crazy relentless pace, and dozens of fantastic boss encounters featuring astonish- astonishing visuals and all manner of interesting play mechanics to ensure that every level remains as fresh as a proverbial daisy. Wow, those are some words. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and of course, like the the latest re-release of this game came out on the 3DS in, in June of 2015. M2 doing all the work on these outstanding, just top to bottom, outstanding 3D classic uh, collections for the 3DS. Um, and it, it is redesigned to be played with the uh, stereoscopic 3D effects of 3DS. It features two new gameplay modes, Mega Life, which doubles the life each player has in stock, and All Spec, which allows the player to choose any combination of weapons that they want. Um, I was thinking of potentially talking about this in a, a later segment, but again, I just want to reiterate, I think these these 3D classics are just unbelievably well done uh on the 3ds from from m2 and puts into i don't know if this is the right terminology stark contrast of just how lazy the virtual console seems when you (laughs) see a game like this um and you see all the options given to you when you have you buy this game for 
six dollars or seven dollars. I think it's five ninety nine or six ninety nine. I don't even care if it's eight dollars. Um, you pay eight dollars for this game and you get all these features versus getting Super Mario World on your 3ds virtual console and having it just be a a ROM dump with the one thing being a true pixel mode. Um, that's that that's just really shows the the care and the value that you get out of these ports. And we're very lucky to to be getting at least one of the physical releases uh, that. You have probably already heard Greg and I talk about on a previous episode, um, but again, those are just some things that I want to point out because I think hard work and well-done work deserves to be praised and pointed out and supported, and that's why by every single one of these 3DS classics, even if I do not love the game as much as OutRun or as much as Gunstar Heroes, this is stuff that we need to support. If you check out the uh, the Sega blogs, you might need to dig in for a while. But they did interviews with uh, the producer of Sega of Japan and the people yes. at M2 on, on all the stuff they did to emulate this sort of stuff. And the Sega ones were really neat because they basically created a whole new platform called mm-hmm. a Giga Drive, which is like more or less a Genesis with like slightly more memory and 3D capabilities. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, they, then they create a new platform, then they emulate that, and then they adapt the ROMs to run on that platform. Thank you for reminding me. I just want to mention real quick, quick, Greg, it's blogs.sega.com. And if you go on the left-hand side under categories, uh, click on the Sega 3D Classics uh, section. And the the blogs and the the interviews that they have uh, for including right at the top, it was from uh, August 20th, 2015, talking about uh, the 3D remaster of Gunstar Heroes. The interviews for that are unbelievable. They're just like great a wada ass quality level interviews and just cool. fantastic information from the developers. Sorry, Greg. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely check that out. What you're, what you're describing there. Um, isn't that kind of similar to the type of thing that, uh, digit was a digital eclipse. Yeah. yeah. Doing for Mega Man. Like, I mean, not exactly the same, but it's along the same lines, right? Instead of just trying to emulate, you're actually building a platform. Right. And- yeah. There was something. Yeah. I mean, I've read about it and it's sort of, fascinating the way that they were trying to describe it. I didn't quite grasp what they were doing, but it's definitely not just taking a ROM and plunking it into an emulator. They right? actually legally did not want to do that. Uh, Frank Cifaldi had a really great GDC talk where he talked all about emulation and in doing so also talked about like how they kind of had to get around that whole gray area of using emulation on that Mega Man Legacy collection. And specifically, like I'm not a programmer, so this is the best way I can describe it, is they they had to kind of create a shell where they could recompile the game within Mm. the shell. So it's not actually using emulation. They're actually kind of like reprogramming the game in this shell. So it's not necessarily running on an NES. It's running on something that can recompile it and make it look like an NES and allow them to do all the other crazy things like those uh, like challenge modes and, and everything like that. And uh, I think we talked a little bit on, on a previous episode about this, Kurt, but they definitely had like a rocky start with that first release. I don't know if it was like timing thing that they had to uh, get things done in a certain time, but uh, they really kind of cleaned things up with that update and with a 3DS retail version. Uh, so I have high hopes for, for what they could be doing in the future when it comes to these compilations, because if anyone is going to do stuff like that here on the West Coast, it's going to be Frank Cifaldi and Mike Micah, guys that are incredibly passionate about the history of these games and the preservation of them. It's it's funny because uh, it's going through not to not to prolong the segment any longer, but uh, going through my Dreamcast collection the other day, and I came across the um, the original Sega Smash Pack. Oh, geez. oh man! And, 
I mean, but it's it's interesting because we're sitting here talking about this and and sort of you know the the level of quality that you're getting from like for for the Mega Man Legacy Collection or for right. these uh, these M2 versions of these classic Sega games. And you look back then, it's it's amazing how far we've come in like 15 years mm-hmm. because that literally was just dumping ROMs onto an emulator and hoping for the best. And I mean, the quality of that was just god awful. It was so so bad. What what was it specifically? I think it was like a Virtual Cop. They're like. Their Saturn, I guess it would. No, they used the. I, I believe I don't even know how I remember this. Stuff. I, I think, think their still, Virtual was Cop a, was actually a PC. PC I know that's exactly what I was going to say. Mm. But no, I, I mean even the Genesis emulation on that was was awful. I think it even had that. Uh, if you've been emulating games for quite a while, you, you remember very early on when they when you plugged uh, a Sonic ROM into an emulator, mm-hmm. the title screen was all messed up. Sonic would appear. He was layered wrong. He would appear. Uh, he would appear in front of the title. Mm-hmm. And I think the Smash Pack actually did that as well. <laughs> and the music was just terrible. Like I, th- I think Shining Force was was almost impossible to listen to. It was so bad. Like it was just it was just. Fifteen years has been. We've made amazing progress. <laughs> the, the thing with that was like they couldn't emulate all the channels correctly on right. the just sound chip, so they replaced one of the FM with like a PSG, and so it just sounds really weird. Mm-hmm. Gross. Like I mean, I, I like listening to some of it just to hear the different sound of it, but most of it was was really obnoxious. It was terrible. I mean, the the the, 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 the and yeah, you guys are getting our super long bonus segment on <laughs> collections and like remakes and stuff like that. But it, it's a really important thing for for us as retro gamers because a lot of times that's a much better way for us to get access to this stuff, even uh, on the PlayStation Two, like with what Sega started doing with Sega Ages collection uh, and on the Sega Saturn as well uh, with the Capcom collections. Like you can get some really great versions of these games that are really almost. Uh, perfect, especially like the Street Fighter collections on Sega Saturn are really great. Um, so if it makes it much more economically feasible for you to pick this stuff up and, and run it on a, a Sega Saturn, which can be easily made region free. Um, so don't forget to, to look around, see what your options are. And uh, these compilations also generally have a bunch of extra bonuses that the original did not have. So it's it's fun to be able to have access to that stuff. I also wanted to mention this soundtrack uh, was part of a Mega Drive 25th anniversary album, Volume 1. Volume 2 has still not come out yet. Uh, this came out, uh, I ordered it on May 4th, 2015. It looks like it came out uh, in April 2015, and it's a four-disc set that not only includes this game, it includes uh, the soundtracks for Mega Q, which is a uh, trivia game, I believe, uh, eSWAT, and also Fantasy Star 2. So you get like four badass soundtracks on four discs, and Right now, uh, it's no longer available on Amazon Japan. It looks like they're out of stock. Um, but if you do want to pick that uh, that soundtrack up for Gunstar Heroes, there are some re- relatively recent ways to, to do that. So go check it out. You're probably hearing a bunch of music, so it's going to make you want to pick it up. So uh, anything else that, that you wanted to hit on, Kurt, before we go into the uh, next segment? I think we could get on. Greg, what, what do you got? Do you have any any kind of like incredible facts like did you want to mention that game pro gave this a perfect five out of five <sighs> egm gave it a 36 out of 40 but still somehow got the best action game of 1993 or that uh sega force give it a 90 94 from sega force i don't know I, man i think you covered everything i want to talk about okay i was yeah. just going to rattle off a bunch of scores 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what I thought you were going to do. So uh, lots of great information, uh, again, on Kurt's site at HardcoreGaming101.net slash Gunstar Heroes. Go there, and you can get a bunch of great information on the game. I will put the link in the show notes as well. So stick around. We're going to be right back. We're going to go to 1993, and we're going to listen to uh, check out some more about this game. on one quick thing from the last segment and that is that you can get the Gunstar Heroes soundtrack still from Japan as part of a Gunstar Heroes and Gunstar Superheroes collection on CD for about $20. The only caveat is that the tracks are very, very short. So you get like one loop of the song versus on the Mega Drive collection where you basically have the Gunstar Heroes soundtrack on one CD instead of having to split it with the Gunstar Superhero CD. And even one more extra thing I would like to add to this is for for you guys, I never played Gunstar Superheroes, but much of what I've heard about this game is that it is not very well remembered. It was not very uh, well loved as course of as much as Gunstar Heroes. Greg, did you ever play Gunstar Superheroes? Do you have any opinions on that game? Gunstar Superheroes, that was the Game Boy game? Correct. Uh, you know what? I played it, I think, once. I don't have any major memory of that game outside of the fact that in the ensuing years, mm-hmm. people have found a bunch of sprites in the ROM. Oh, no uh, way. Yeah, where basically there were a ton of Sega, like classic Sega character themed bosses that were apparently going to be part of that. Like wow. uh, a boss based on the, the character from ESWAT, mm-hmm. um, a, a bunch of Ultra Beast references, and there's a bunch of music apparently in that cartridge that's all sort of remixed. That's classic so cool. Sega music. That's honestly my memory of it. I, I have the game. I played it once. I can't. I could not tell you what it looked like, what it sounded like. Uh, it, it didn't leave an impression at all. Kurt, how about how about for you? Do you have any opinions on this game? It's a very good game. That's not nearly as good as the original Gunstar Heroes. No. Yeah, it's a tough bar to hit, right? So it's a hell of a thing to live up to. It's it's just very strange because they make a lot of like. Gunstar Heroes has uh, the system where there's like four core weapons and you mm-hmm. combine them and then all together there's like 16 main weapons. Right. They got rid of like all that. Ooh, there's only there's only a couple of them. And the other thing is one of the main things is uh, like the grappling like you can pick up and throw mm-hmm. almost any enemy. That's gone too. Oh. That's like the core of the game. So it's yeah. basically Contra? Kind of. A little bit easier. And they also it's it's not a sequel. It's like a reimagining but they like just change weird things some way sometimes in ways that are good sometimes in ways that are bad it's a reimagining of what it would have been like if they'd stayed at konami and konami had actually let them make the game <laughs> oh, they, they forced them to make the game well this game yeah. is still you can get brand new copies of it sealed for like 40 dollars on ebay i remember this game being like in clearance bins all over the place and i never picked it up and uh maybe that's okay um, i was really hyped for it and it's 
it never quite got there is still a lot of sega fan services in the game mm-hmm. oh, like is there? okay. yeah there's um there's a bunch of levels that are sort of use the same uh like 3d scaling the afterburner and mm-hmm. thing did there's a level that's sort of based on what thunder blade looks like but not necessarily plays like <laughs> um there's a stage that you're like a mini flicky mini game of all Jeez, things nice fan service yeah Sonic hedgehog so there there's still some of it there but mm-hmm. yeah there's all those i guess there's supposed to be a tournament area where you would fight like the dude from altered beast or uh one of the eastwatt guys that they just never ended up getting yeah. the final product wow uh well this is a super extra bonus segment that you guys got so yeah we are going in depth and again <laughs> great great reason to have kirk claude on because he is an encyclopedia when it comes to this stuff so None of that matters, though. Game Boy Advance does not exist. We're in 1993, <laughs> and, you know, maybe we're getting hyped up for that 32X or, you know, got our Sega CD jammed into the side of our Sega Genesis. Damn well, right. Uh, probably not. I don't know. Not many people <laughs> bought that thing. So I um, had one. I had, I had Well, two. you guys had one, but not yeah. like – I mean, like, no. Anyways, all right. So – uh we next week we're going to be doing uh, make my music video Marky Mark, but for this week we're gonna oh do, man <laughs> we're going to do Gunstar Euros and uh, with this game uh, very much uh, like you know many Sega Genesis games my Sega Genesis library consisted very much of Charles Barkley Shut Up and Jam Mortal Kombat Two and Eternal Champions I did not have uh, a lot of these great games a lot of my money was going to my Super Nintendo and my Game Boy but. Uh, I want to talk to you guys about this. And, and Greg, like you mentioned before in that last segment, you knew very well, like, this is a game that you need to play if you are a Sega fan. So did you pick this up, like, on release date? Were you going to Babbage's and putting down your $5 to pre-order this thing and get your bonus uh, cassette tape of the soundtrack? Yeah, I wish that was the case. No, I I did I did get, get it on day one. And the reason is exactly what we were talking about earlier, like, you got to remember 1993. I mean, that was sort of the crest of the, of the wave when it came to Genesis popularity, right? I mean, Sonic two had come out the previous year and 93 is when Capcom started supporting the system. 93 is when Konami started supporting the system and you had game fan, which was basically a Sega fanboy magazine at that point. And they were talking up treasure. So, I mean, those of us who were into that magazine sort of in that scene, we knew all about this game before it came out and we were pumped to play it. And again, Konami and Capcom had started supporting the system, but those two companies in particular, you got to think like late eighties through the first half of the nineties, they were, they were at their peak, right? I mean, and they were doing everything on the super Nintendo. So if you were a Genesis player, you you hadn't been able to enjoy their best stuff. So when you learn that as Kurt was saying, not necessarily the truth, but when you learn that this team that did Castlevania and, you know, so just these, Axley was one of the other games that was mentioned. Just some of these great Konami games were going to start supporting the Genesis exclusively. That was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah, we're definitely going to be playing it. And yeah, picked it up day one. Of course. Was that was that weird to you at all, uh, Greg? That like, or maybe it was just kind of like badass that there were these guys that just said like, yeah, we're completely we're leaving Konami and we're going to go do our own thing and we're going to make stuff, especially for uh, specifically for. The Sega Genesis, you're almost kind of like you, you end up like rooting for them. You can't help but be like a little bit of a fanboy for this, well, of course. this, this company. 
I mean, you got to you got to think about it. Even today, you talk about how Nintendo stuff on YouTube does so much better than anything that has to do with anything else, but especially Sega. Right. And there was sort of this inferiority complex happening, but also this this sort of um, euphoria because again, you're right at the height of the Genesis mm-hmm. uh, popularity in the U.S. And going back to that interview that I was talking about, that was in Game Fan. Just want to read you an answer here. So the question was, Konami was a big third party for Nintendo, so why are you now making games for Sega? This was posed to the president of Treasure. And he said, quote, I've always been fascinated with hardware. People are constantly comparing the Mega Drive to Super Nintendo, saying that Super Nintendo has more colors, etc. Mm-hmm. But the Mega Drive has a 68,000 processor, which is very easy for programmers to work with. And he goes on and on talking about how he'd spent years making a game for the Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. and people think it's better. But actually, if you tried to put this game on the Super Nintendo there'd be no way it would even be playable because the Sega hardware was so much better. And that was just candy. That's right. Fuel, I mean, man. that's fuel for the <laughs> exactly. fire. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, this is, this guy gets us. He's on our side. I'm going to buy his game. That's, that's okay. That makes total sense. It's like if at, like a group from Atlas split off and they're saying, we're only going to make specific, like games specific. If you, you guys can't tell, I'm still sick from the last episode, but <laughs> we're going to make games specifically for the PlayStation Vita. I'd be like, pre what do you mean? Just here, I'm throwing money at my monitor. Yeah, why, is I don't it care not, what why is it not going into your bank accounts right this second? So I totally understand where you're, you're coming from. Kurt, how about you? Were you definitely like hyped up for this game? Did you know that this is a game that you need to pick up on day one? See, I come from a completely different uh angle on that because the mm-hmm. only magazines the time i had read regularly was video games to computer entertainment uh right. who did not i don't think they reviewed it there was never any ads for it mm-hmm. uh and like egm like i was hyped as hell when they announced the uh the sega was supporting it like i had an issue i think at teenage mutant Turtles hyperstone heist on it yep. um but i only sporadically saw it you know picked up when i went to the mall because i was you know i didn't spend five dollars a month because i was just a kid <laughs> and game fan was actually really rare mm-hmm. like I, I almost mm-hmm. never barely saw it so uh i only found gunstar heroes because i went to the video store i had a friend over we wanted to play our game i had no idea what this title was i thought it looked kind of crappy because it has bad cover art uh and then i was just like oh, okay we're just picking up some throwaway game to spend the afternoon with mm-hmm. and then when you when i put in the cartridge and you see that like the polygonal treasure logo mm-hmm. who had a, a guy specifically devote to programming that according to the credits <laughs> That's awesome. i was just like okay this game just looks like mind-blowing mm-hmm. and from there i was hooked it, it, that that is that is a great point to make. Uh, that the the box art for the Mega Drive version way superior. Like that is badass. You have the like the logos on fire, like in the um, like the attract screen for it. Um, but you know the maybe the US version is a little bit too kitty, a little bit too cartoony. There's well, it, that um, Sega box art book that those guys in Britain did. Oh yeah, a year or two ago they act, they had did an alternate version of the Gunstar Heroes cover. That looks completely different. I'd never seen it online. Maybe I'll just have to take a quick photo of what it looks like. I can't remember if it was better or worse, but oh, it's, it's definitely right behind me. I get to pop that open. I, that's that's one of those books that I need to open up and and go through. Spend an afternoon going through that stuff. Um, if you can't tell, I'm very much an audio and video guy myself, and I like uh, you know Generation 16. Greg, make sure you add that to the video. Uh, 1993 is very far away for you though at this point Um, yeah i'm I'm not i'm at the end of 1990 right now so this is uh you know just talking about we never really talked much about the the genesis and the mega drive hardware but like that 68 uh, thousand that that motorola 68000 chip is like very iconic in not only video games but in computers like being used in 
not only the, the Sega Genesis, but uh, notably like the the, the original Macintosh. Uh, it was used mm-hmm. used in that the Atari ST, uh, the Commodore uh, Amiga, um, and you know obviously different clocks for for a bunch of these these consoles and, and these systems. But um, very versatile CPU and, and incredibly popular to program for. So that's maybe why it was a very attractive console for for developers. It was. It was, uh, it was everywhere in the arcades. Like the yeah. reason that it had a um, the sixty eight thousand has a Mega Drive is because it was basically a, a cut down space area. <laughs> Very fast. Yeah, I mean that is why they, that's how they made the system. Um, that's right. It was based off the original like Model One uh, Sega hard, arcade hardware, right? Or Model uh, No, Model One is the three D stuff. Okay, so that's yeah, what you're, you're before that. In. Yeah. I always get that confused. I it's um, like a, it's like the Sega System sixteen. That's okay. Like that's that era. Nice. Okay. I want. I'm, I'm curious too, and I'm not sure if I'm right about this, but what you're saying, it, I think, is a really good point. It's something that I've sort of been trying to explore on Generation 16, um, and from talking to a lot of people who, you know, like if you, you talk about the the uh, British um, video game industry, mm-hmm. a lot of those people started off as bedroom coders. Yeah, on the Amiga, uh, right? On the Amiga mm-hmm. and on the Specky and on the Commodore 64, mm-hmm. and so again, the architecture there is very similar to, like you said, to the Mega Drive. Mm-hmm. So it made sense that a lot, a lot of their skills actually transferred over to creating games on the Mega Drive. I want to say that something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot, although there's some great books about it, and one of them is, and I'm going to screw up his name so badly, but I'm not even going to say his name. It's the untold history of Japanese game developers. Oh yeah, yeah. John Sketchapeniak. Thank you for saying his name. I knew, you, I knew you'd know it, Kurt. Um, anyway, I've been I've been reading his book lately, and something mm-hmm. that's kind of hitting me is that no one talks about sort of it wasn't a bedroom coder thing, but co- computers were huge in Japan mm-hmm. early on. And I don't know if the sixty eight thousand was also a chip that was in those computers, like the PC eighty eight and things like that. Mm-hmm. But if it was, it would make sense because you you look at the early Mega Drive stuff too, like a lot of the stuff from Technosoft. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that is from old PC games that they did, old computer games in Japan. So there's there's that compatibility. That chip is a great chip. I mean, and that's something else that uh, Megawa said in this interview is just like, if you're making Super Famicom games, you have to make it the Super Famicom way. Mm-hmm. But the 68000 processor gives you all this freedom. And the architecture that they had in the Mega Drive gave you all this freedom to do all this cool stuff, which is why you see something like, Gunstar Heroes in 93, I mean, they were doing stuff in that game that you'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. It, it just looks incredible for a Mega Drive game. It, it, looks, it is a beautiful looking game. And this is why I'm so grateful to have both you guys on here to talk about this stuff, because I just love geeking out and going like a couple extra layers deeper on this stuff. And, and Kurt and I were talking about the untold history of Japanese game developers on the uh, Castlevania episode that we did, but um, this is just a reminder, like if, especially if you're a Kindle user, like those books are oh, under ten dollars on the Kindle. So worth it. They're they're eight and nine dollars, and they're also free if you're a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, which is I think it's like ten dollars a month, which I am. Yeah. So you can just get those books literally for free, and the the paperbacks themselves are down to thirty five dollars a piece. And um, I'll, I'll make sure to link to those in the show notes. And the best thing about that is if you buy it through that show note link, you're going to support the show uh, as well. So I really appreciate if you do that. But I uh, highly recommend those. The, the, they look unbelievable on the Kindle. They look fantastic. I mean, on the, uh, on the iPad, if you have the Kindle app on the iPad. So um, definitely go, go check those out. Well they're worth picking up. They're definitely kind of, you know, it, it, it's a lot to sift through. Because there's just, but it's just so packed with information. Both those, I just ordered volume two, but volume one is just like, I can't put it down. 
Yeah, and I, and I'm, I know I must getting be getting annoying to to keep reiterating, but we just live in a beautiful time where there's there's people uh, like him and, and like Kurt who are just putting together these great encyclopedias of information, and, and Greg that's doing the like the video encyclopedia of these video games out there. So um, please make sure that if you do appreciate this stuff, support the crap out of it, so we can continue to get this stuff out there and, and have it shared with with everyone that wants to get access to this information but uh this is gunstar hero so um, <laughs> um if we're talking about uh nerdy computer stuff T- totally yeah <laughs> uh, the uh the only computer in japan that used uh the x68 uh the 68000 was the x68000 yeah 68000 okay that makes yeah. sense which is where technosoft started from because thunder right. force yeah. 2 which is their first genesis game was originally an x68000 game um although uh i don't know i don't know what the pc88 did the pc98 has an uh an x86 processor, which is what the same thing what IBM PCs used. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. the 68,000 thing, that makes sense because I'm thinking back to, yeah, Thunder Force 2, and then there was, I think, Herzog's Vi. The original Herzog is actually an earlier oh, P- computer game as well. Yeah, they actually they did a lot of really good um, earlier stuff. Like, I forget what it was called. There's a really good Space Hero clone for the MSX that I was playing a little while ago. Yeah, nice. Yeah, there's there's damn that's that's something that I wish I could pick home and bring back with me from Japan sometime, but um, maybe a little bit better to do some emulation at this point. Probably. Uh, so so Greg, I mean, you you obviously got access to this game. You started playing it. You played through it. And was this something that you were constantly going back to? Like, is this like a a contra for the NES? Is it on that level where you're continuing to go back to it every time you have a a friend over? And I'm kind of uh, also curious. You know, the big difference between playing this as I did single player versus playing it with a friend is the experience that much better and the frame rate hold up. Yeah, it definitely holds up. And I mean, the nice thing about that is that I I had a a buddy that I played most of my games with back then. And we had sort of our go to two player games. Mm -hmm. Streets of Rage 2 was the main one that we, we played constantly multiplayer. So when this came out, it was kind of a perfect storm, too, because. That was when I was, you know, I had somebody that I could play multiplayer games with all the time. So the mm-hmm. first time I ever played it, I played two player simultaneous. Beautiful. And it was, I mean, it was like nothing else. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we both played lots of Contra and, and Contra 3 was incredible. Um, but like the, this, the sheer amount of stuff that's happening in this mm-hmm. game and the variety of the of what you're doing, like you're, you're flying through space and you're shooting and you're in this dice maze at one point and like it's just the bosses are crazy and you have this force scrolling level in the minecarts and it's just like nonstop things exploding everywhere mm-hmm. and that great weapon system and being able to pick guys up and throw them like it was just it was groundbreaking it was in our groundbreaking game and it's one of those ones that I wish that I could go back and experience again for the first time because mm-hmm. it'd just be nothing like it again right I still pick up Streets of Rage 2 and play it all the time I still pick up Gunstar Heroes and play it all the time single player it's not quite as good. Still amazing, but not quite as good. But I just love to be able to experience it for the first time again. Did you use it as ammo against like the Super Nintendo? Hell yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's what I. That's why I, I, if when I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but this is definitely one of those things that I look at and I, I say, wow, this would be like number one in the chamber when I was going up against SNES versus Sega Genesis. This would have been one of the first bullets to be fired, being like, this is what the Sega Genesis is capable of doing like along with Sonic and Streets of Rage 2 and, and all that stuff. Yeah. It got added to that list, right? Cause you, I was in I think junior high and high school at the mm-hmm. time and you know, you had friends who had super Nintendos and that's you know, how I played super Nintendo a lot of the time. And you know, you go over to their house and there'd be like specific games that were amazing that you want to play. Mm-hmm. And 
same thing for me when they come over to my house i had sort of this library that they wanted to check out and they wanted to play and, and gunstar heroes sort of rose right to the top of that group almost immediately because yeah. it was just so incredible that's a, that's a pretty good lineup how about you Kurt? like where where was this in in terms of the the impact that i guess it had on you or, or how it stood along the other games that were available at the time well like, like i said i originally only rented it at first mm-hmm. and i think we were able to beat it like it's not a super difficult game because no. they, they give you a lot of uh, continues and things like that mm-hmm. but it was one of the very few games that even though i had already rented it and beat it i went back and bought mm-hmm. which granted was i never was never clear how successful gunstar heroes was because i remember buying it new for like twenty dollars wow um I don't know and what I, the numbers are, but I, I think it was successful based on the fact that they didn't expect it to sell very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't. There, there was a weird promotional thing. Did they give you like a free fruit roll up or something fruit for buying it? It's yeah. just like the most bizarre <laughs> promotion. Uh, well, there was no but, promotion. That's what you mentioned earlier. I, I wanted to chime in on is that for for a game that did so well, we have such fond memories of. You're right. Sega America did not promote that game very well at all. Mm. Die Hard did a better job than Sega of America from promoting that game. That's a shame. That's a that's a shame because it's I mean, well, you kind of look at the 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 history and, and how it was seems like it was turned down by Sega a bunch. Like they may have just not have had their 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 hearts. <laughs> their really heads down street. Like I have no idea how anybody right. can look at that game as such a technical tour de force and say mm-hmm. Americans would not be interested in that game. That's crazy. Well, well I I guess I look at it if I'm in 1993, I'm looking at the the big games of the time. I'm looking at like Mortal Kombat. I'm looking at things with really big sprites going towards realistic graphics. Vector Man. Like I'm looking at games that maybe just look more like Neo Geo games and a little bit less like really great looking games with smaller sprites and stuff like that. But um, that I'm just going into my, my whatever it would have been nine year old self would, would I have liked the look of this game. And maybe I would be looking more like Star Fox and being like, that's the game I want to play. I want to play something that's like Star Fox and less like just a better looking Contra game. Yeah. yeah, at the time they didn't. This was before Contra Hardcore came out, right? I think it was the year before. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you know they should definitely have wanted a Contra game because that's what this basically was. Yeah. Especially you know two player games were really big thanks to you know Streets of Rage two. Mm-hmm. So that should be something that should have fit into their slot. But I guess they just like oh too cartoony and except for that one guy. Who, yeah. Well, there was that that uh, I forget the name of the producer that you're talking about. Um, what was what was the producer's name? Mark. Anyway. Of, uh, I'm looking right at the the top of the outline right now, and his name is Mark uh, Sen- Senor. I'm okay, so, yeah, I couldn't go to the outline because I don't want you yelling at me for clicking my mouse. But okay. uh, <laughs> um, one of the things that he mentioned, you, you talked about sprite size, and one of the things that he actually mentioned when he was talking about this game, I think it was maybe in a Sega 16 article, or maybe it was the Hardcore Gamer article, I don't know, was... Um, the latest edition of world series baseball where they had actually just shipped world series baseball and it featured a batter that was the size of the screen, yeah, which was amazing at the time. Um, so the sprite size thing, I mean, I, I don't understand why they wouldn't have wanted this game right off the bat either, but I could see being a little short sighted about it. Like I said, you're, you're in 93. There's a sort of a euphoria there for, you know, I mean, Sonic two is like the best selling game ever for Sega mm-hmm. and, and you're still r- riding that wave. Yes, 
hardcore hasn't come out yet, but I mean, you know, you're right at the point where Capcom's jumping on, Konami's jumping, jumping on, all of these sort of Nintendo stalwarts are starting to line up and say, we're going to support your system as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Mortal Kombat's super huge. Street Fighter, super huge. One-on-one fighting games, like they're still multiplayer, but that's the type of multiplayer you're looking at now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see, you know, looking at that and saying, yeah, a little too Japanese, maybe, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, and being completely wrong. But I, I could see I could see overlooking it for for something that looked a little more sexy. Unfortunate, um, and but just real like I mean it's the China Warrior syndrome, right? I mean China Warrior came out. Everyone needed to have big sprites. This is a joke. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, you know what's funny if you look at Alien Soldier because Alien yeah. Soldier was mm-hmm. the follow up to Guns. Well, it wasn't the direct follow up. Dynamite Heady came out the year afterward, mm-hmm. but Alien Soldier was passed over by the American branch. That game has huge sprites. Huge sprites. And it and never I, came out in the U.S., right? No, it didn't. No. Yeah. But at the same time, I could kind of understand why they didn't want to bring that game out because it's not nearly as intuitive as Gunstar Heroes. No. It's definitely like a hardcore gamer's game, sort of. Like mm-hmm. when I first played it, I got hyped up and I did not like it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, this is a very specific way you need to play and enjoy that game. Uh, so I could sort of see them passing on that one, even though that is also like a technical tour de force. But McDonald's Treasure Land Adventure, ship it. <laughs> Get it out. McDonald's is huge. People love McDonald's in America. It was actually a pretty good game. It is a pretty yeah. good game. But it was the just other, so the other weird one's pretty good too. Because Virgin had one also. That, uh, yeah, it came out of the European yeah. side. Yeah. The, the, the game itself, and you guys, I can't believe you dropped the ball on this because I have Wikipedia open in front of me. Game came out and was available on the Sega channel in 1995. So oh, for all right. 15 people with the Sega channel, you could pick that game up. And, and then uh, later it came out on the virtual console. So uh, you were able to play it on the Wii virtual console at a later date. But that's a very fascinating game. When I take a look at like the reception of the scores, lots of 8 out of 10s from the US side. Famitsu, known for giving just ridiculously high scores because they just get paid for them, uh, 24 out of 40. For, for what game? For Alien Soldier. Wow. Oh no, back then, Famitsu was harsh as hell. Yeah, Famitsu oh, was were. hardcore back then. They were yeah, like Nintendo Power. They were, they, they were harsh on games. Like games that look as like Legends now were like, you know, 7 out of 10, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays it's just like Nintendo dogs, 10 out of 10 straight down. God, Famitsu. Yeah, please. I just, I shook my head when I looked at that on the shelves in, in the, the seven 11 last week. Um, so let's, uh, and this is cool. This is like kind of been like a treasure episode, which I actually love. You guys are getting a bunch of extra bonus discussion in, in content on there. And usually it's, it's laser focused, but I like the direction the show is, is going in. So, um, you know, at at that point, Greg, you're you're getting to see the you know very first game from from Treasure. Does that mean that they're immediately shooting up to the top of your list of like making sure I need to see the next thing that they have coming out? Did you become a Treasure fan at that point, or was it just like they made a really good Sega Genesis game, and you know maybe I'll just kind of keep an eye out in case they make another one? Absolutely. I mean, I skipped uh, Ronald McDonald. Um, I just didn't care about that. Uh, a, a buddy of mine was really into it. And I mean, from what I watched him playing, it was, it was good, but it wasn't for me. But when you, yeah, Gunstar Heroes made me take notice. Mm-hmm. Um, then Dynamite Heidi came out mm. and it's like, okay, you know what? Anything they do, I will be there day one. Like I am, I am sold now. They would really have to screw up for me to not pay attention to them anymore. And that lasted for quite a while, like probably 10 years. Mm. Um, before I, I think it was uh, that whatever that game was that was on the cover of Game Go. 
um, the where you snap girls' boots. Oh, uh, stretch panic. Stretch panic. That was yeah. the one that said, you know what? I don't really care that much about treasure anymore. But up until that point, mm-hmm. anything they touched, I was like, yeah, I gotta play it. Gotta play it day one. I I was I was the same way. Like I was mm-hmm. hyped up for Dynamite Heady. I was a little disappointed in the end, even though I still liked it. Um, but yeah, like at the time, like when the 32 bit air hit came, like I hated the Nintendo 64 because I was all, I want 2D games. They were all taking the 3D direction that I hated, mm-hmm. but eventually I had to get a Nintendo 64 because the Castlevania was coming out for it. Oh, geez. Uh, and, but like one of the only other games I cared about was Mischief Makers because it was mm-hmm. made by Treasure, which, uh, was one of the first games I picked up. And Mischief Makers is really good too. Uh, I love Mischief Makers. That that that's probably going to be a game we're going to have to talk about at some point. Uh, but then you know, for all their other sims, like I skipped Rakugaki Showtime because that was a really obscure import at the time. Mm. Uh, Radiant Silver Gun was hyped up as hell back then. I picked up that Ikaruga was just was so psyched when they were porting it to the Dreamcast mm-hmm. and imported it the first day. And again, they had some some flubs around the 3D area because Stretch Panic was another thing that I was hyped for, mm-hmm. and then it got really bad reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I mean, what else was there? They did Gradius Five uh, in conjunction with uh, Grev and Konami, uh, and that was re- also really good. Yeah, and PlayStation Two, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but it wasn't the uh, Silfeed? So yeah, Silfeed was Two. They had something to do with that as well. Yeah, they were the developer on that, but that was right. one of their like outsource works. That's okay. it's, like if you walk into it expecting the sort of like treasure technical and design brilliance that they were known for, it's just it's not very good. In, in hindsight, for me, the treasure sort of the treasure that I loved, the treasure era ended when the Saturn ended. Really, hmm. and, oh, see, I know. still loved like uh, Ikaruga and Gradius Five, but yeah, from that point they were like not as consistent. No, no. They definitely had issues with 3D hardware. That's why Stretch Panic ended up being kind of a disaster. Uh, and that's also how why they're working with Grev because they were, uh, uh, you know, they were, they were, I think, from former Taito guys and they had made Border Down on the arcade and Dreamcast. And I think they outsourced a lot of their 3D programming to them. Like they just didn't have the technical knowledge to work with the new hardware. Hmm. Right. Very, very cool stuff. Um, well, what we'll do right now is we'll we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about how this game holds up in 2016. Uh, talk about what it's like to play through that game and your options that you have available if you would like to pick up this game and play it today. So stick around. We'll be right back. so excited that this episode of Back in My Play is brought to you by Retrofixes.com. You probably remember that name from when Wesley Allman was on the show a couple months ago talking about the console restoration and revitalization work that he does for our old retro video game consoles. That includes things like services that bring him in to the current era, like RGB out mods and HDMI mods 
and things like cap replacement kits for your Sega Game Gear. If you have bad sound, you got to get those caps replaced, and you're going to bring that Game Gear back to life. There's so many great services that he offers, and he's done such great work that his work is even featured at Nintendo of America. I've used him in the past. He's been incredibly fantastic, great service, and some of the best work that I've seen done to revitalize these old video game consoles. I know if you go to RetroFixes.com and use the services there, you're going to be incredibly impressed and you're going to be so happy because when you bring new life to these old consoles, it's like getting a new console all over again, especially if you're hooking up to a current day television. It's super important. So go check it out, RetroFixes.com, and see the services that he has on there. And again, I promise, you're going to be incredibly happy with the service and the quality that you get Go check them out. Put some new life into your consoles. Yes, we still got the fuel. We made it back to 2016, and this is a great time. If you want to play Gunstar Heroes, specifically if you have a Nintendo 3DS, because as we talked about in previous segments, Sega has really gone gone above and beyond uh, working with M2 to remake and import these games. I, I don't want to say remake, but maybe even almost remaster, but they're giving these games new life on the 3DS uh, eShop. And also, they're doing some physical versions. Unfortunately, this is not featured in one of the physical releases as of yet. So I want to start because I I wanted to I wanted to play through this game the best possible way, which is, of course, on a Commodore monitor and um, a Sega Genesis. And I kind of forgot because I haven't hooked up my Sega Genesis in a long time. Um except through a SCART cable. And I quickly was reminded of how terrible the composite mm. output on a Sega Genesis is. Yeah. Um, it's really muddy and gross. And I even have a like an S-Video modded uh, Sega Genesis. So I have uh, someone that has gone and uh, done some modding. So I'm even getting a better than normal composite output from my Sega Genesis. And it is still uh, quite muddy. But that... That's okay because I also have a, a 3DS to play this on, but um, it's still – I wanted to take a look at the Sega Genesis version because I was playing it on the 3DS and I was like, this maybe they fixed maybe they fixed the frame rate because this can't be running this well like on a Sega Genesis. So hooked up Sega Genesis, popped in uh, my EverDrive and I feel okay because I bought the game on my 3DS. So I'm playing it on an EverDrive and the game – plays phenomenally well on a Sega Genesis and it is it just blows you away it is blast processing at <laughs> its finest on that hardware with uh this video game and a prime example of just how great games can be on the Sega Genesis if programmed properly for the the hardware as you guys mentioned and and spoke about so well uh before and I've never taken the time to play this game it's a game that I've neglected, and I've always looked back at uh, the discussions that that Greg, you and I may have had, uh, and thought this game cannot be this good. People are just hyping it up. It is one of those things, like we talked about previously, Sega fanboys just always go to because they didn't have great things like uh, Contra Three, or they did not have uh, other fantastic action games to point to when people wanted to bring that kind of stuff up. So I was wrong. This is a, <laughs> this, this is, this is an incredible game. This is uh, maybe one of the finest 
examples of the the Sega Genesis and and Mega Drive hardware uh, that is even just better on the the 3DS because uh, let me just say one more thing. I'm gonna throw it around so I'm not talking the whole time. The the 3DS version um, not only has those those extra modes available, but um, you're also able to do um, the save states. And you have the the incredible 3D effect on that game. The 3D effect uh, for Gunstar Heroes is kind of mesmerizing. And I was going back and forth between having having it on and off, but especially towards um, the second to last stage when you're uh, – and this is kind of like a spoiler. Man, this game goes into a vertical shooter. <laughs> like yeah. you're, yep. it is a vertical space shooter that you're playing towards the end. And it's a good one. Like it mm-hmm. plays really well. You're like, wow, these guys must have, <clears throat> excuse me, they must have really wanted to make a vertical shooter as well. So let's just take everything, <clears throat> excuse me, that we have. God, I'm sick. And throw <laughs> everything we can at this game. Let's just pretend like this is the last video game we're ever going to make. Let's put every single idea we have in it. And you can see that through its uh, diversity. Now I'll continue to talk, but... Um, I mean, Kurt, you're you're looking at this stuff all the time. How does this game hold up today? And did you get a chance to uh, mess around with any of the 3DS version as well? Yeah, the, the 3DS one was the one that I had popped in uh, yesterday to give it a <laughs> quickie run through. Uh, but yeah, it, it holds up extraordinarily well. It's a good uh, it's a good kind of part to the Contra games too, because mm-hmm. especially Contra Three starts head off in this direction where. It, it's a very rigid, difficult game mm-hmm. because everything is heavily pattern based, and you know if you're in the wrong spot at the wrong time, you die. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Gunstar Heroes is a lot looser, not only because you can touch enemies without getting killed, but because you, you have a, a fairly generous life meter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just it's if it has like more of a playground feel to it, mm-hmm. like it's it's not as demanding. So it's a little bit more like I want to just kind of mess around and watch things blow up for a half hour, forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that there's always so much creative stuff in there, um, especially the, the level with the, the dice palace oh, yeah. and like, there's all these different, how many, like what, 20 different bosses or something in there. It's ridiculous. And, and you don't even necessarily fight all of them. No, and you it's, can miss uh, a lot. Yeah, you can miss a lot. And, uh, the, the bosses have different patterns and forms on mm-hmm. the higher difficulty level. So there's a lot in there. And and you you get welcomed to this like very you know Mega Man like select screen where you have options of, of three different uh, excuse me four different main stages and um they they are very diverse like you're basically doing stuff and this this may be like the first this might be the very first cart level you know like your mind cart level where you're getting to jump into a cart and you can basically jump between the bottom and the the top of the screen and they throw tons of different stuff at you that make you want to utilize that ability and you kind of have to to make sure that you're getting out of the way uh, of stuff. You mentioned multiple boss forms in that stage particularly uh, particular <laughs> there's six forms of the boss like the seven the, okay. seven force yeah, yeah seven, seven force seven forms of the boss and you're constantly like, see, I, this is the first time that I ever played through this game. And I'm just like, oh my God, please be the last form. Please be the last form. And I like barely am able to make it out. Uh, I had to go back to and, and restart that again. But um, it was just like constantly surprising me and what it was throwing at me and what was going on in the game. And it's just in- incredibly um, beautiful. Greg, which which version did you play? Uh, I 
threw in my Genesis version, uh, playing through RGB and, and played through actually the 3DS version this morning as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's like, it's interesting to hear your take on it because I knew back in the day that it, it ran this well in the Genesis and, 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 but I, I was really taken by the fact that, you know, I'd forgotten exactly how much is going on on the screen mm-hmm. all the time. And when Even you can stuff s- in the background, like there's people like there's, yeah. there's like enemies in the, in the, the side scrolling uh, ship level. Like there's, there's enemies inside the on ship the that are like, yeah. that are like arguing with each other and like pointing out at the window and stuff like that. Like, Oh my God, they're like doing all this stuff in the background. It's just, I, w- I almost wouldn't even see it unless I just happen to see it. <laughs> or they're falling can, asleep. Or they're yes. falling asleep. That's the thing. When you consider that this is, you know, a game from 1993, a cartridge game, it's an eight meg cartridge. You know, you're talking about tiled graphics where they had to, we, they had to cut corners in order to fit things into the game. And you consider the sheer variety of what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Not only are the levels completely different, like the backgrounds aren't usually reused, but even things like in that minecart stage when you're chasing that train mm-hmm. and you get to the point where the train is almost completely done and you've got, um, uh, what's his, what's his name? Dash smash Daisaku or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, who's the M bison looking character standing there in the engine and throwing his minions throwing at, you. at you. Well, yeah. there's the dude running along beside the train, trying to catch it. And they're all hanging off the side. And it's just brilliant. I mean, there's, it's got this great sense of humor to go along with the, the incredible variety and the graphics. I mean, mm-hmm. I, playing it again today, it so holds up. I mean, it's, yep. It's so worth grabbing. It's not one of those things like you should play this because it was really important back in the day. And you should, mm-hmm. you know, you should know what people are talking about. It's like, no, this, this stands up against anything you're going to play today. Well, and, and I want to point people, I think the best way to play this is that 3DS version. Um, and I want to, again, I'm, and this isn't like the Kevin Larrabee crapping on virtual console segment. I promise you it's not. <laughs> um, but you know, a first, you, a you don't have Sega Genesis games available on the 3DS, so you you kind of have to rely on Sega to to put this stuff out in these 3D classics collections. And when you boot it up, you're not only greeted to some like fantastic art, but the settings that it makes available to you is mm. is borderline obsessive. Um, where you're allowed to play the Japanese version or the international version, you can map your button layout, you can change between different screen modes. You can change between different 3D versions. You can modify the sound volume so it actually plays the sound really loud, which people know is a really big deal for me. And you can also change which um, version of the the Mega Drive sound chip that it uses between the the original and the Mega Drive and the Mega Drive 2 because you know if you play a game on, on the Mega Drive 2 or the Genesis 2 system, the, the, the sound is actually uh, rather different um, mm-hmm. b- between what the two consoles – output and uh, along with that we mentioned the the mega life mode and also you get access to just like a beautiful credits that that they put together just a hell of a love letter from from treasure and m2 um and it is you get the the concept art in the background you get to see some some beautiful beautiful stuff in this so so please go support it if you if you haven't already sadly these were all like on sale a couple weeks ago um but it's still worth the the eight dollars, I believe. Yeah, if you pick it that up. price. One one of the things that I noticed while I was playing today that I had no idea this option existed in the M two version is you can actually, if you press the top button, you can switch between red and blue if you're mm-hmm. playing single player. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of is kind of cool because it actually lets you uh, collect and and hold on to because I think there's what four different weapons total in the game, right? And then of course you can mix and match those, which is always one of the things we haven't even really talked about in this in this show, but. 
one of the, you know, a couple of the really cool elements of the game, A, is that you don't get killed if you run into something. You can grab and throw almost any enemy. You can do, uh, like, a belly flop attack. You can do a sliding kick attack. Like, it's got a lot of brawler in it, along with a lot of Contra. What, what I wrote was, like, Contra versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Very much. And, but then the, the nice thing is, is that there's also, you've got these four different weapons that you can mix and match, and you also have two different playing styles. One is where you... Every time you shoot, you stand still and you see have eight, you know, 360 degrees of movement mm-hmm. for your firing or you can shoot while you're running. And the way that this mode works in the M2 game is when you switch characters, you actually switch play styles. Yep. It's very cool. I had no idea it existed until I played it this morning and I've probably played through this version of the game like 10 times. So it, it is like for eight bucks man, you can't go wrong. You, you mentioned <laughs> the the mix and match of, of the weapons and that's something that was – I, I just happened to stumble upon the great uh, mix of the the uh, blaster, like the normal blaster and the seeker. If you yep, that's, that's my together, weapon. <laughs> like you basically just run through the game and it seeks and it's very it, it, it's very easy for someone that like me that doesn't really know the game to at least see the game uh, and get through. And it adds replayability because. Like, I don't know if I'll be the person that does this, but you can go back and then you can just do a different mix and match and it adds more challenge when you go back and, and play it again. That's a, a super, uh, cool mechanic that they, they have in there that you don't see in, in Contra. You don't see in, in other games. It makes this one very unique. It also lets you personalize the experience, which is something that I, I, I keep comparing this to Streets of Rage 2. But like when I when I played Streets of Rage 2 back in the day, anybody who's played it knows that the the four different characters all play really differently. Mm-hmm. So like you kind of you pick the player you like and that's how you want to play the game. And with Gunstar Heroes, it's the exact same thing because what you just described is the weapon selection I usually go for, where the guy that I usually play the game with has a different selection that he likes. Mm-hmm. So it's like you get to play the game how you want as opposed to how it's, you know, the way it's going to force you to play. It's a really nice touch. Kurt, what, what are your, what's your favorite stage uh, from this game? Do you have one in particular that like you always go to first or like if you only had five minutes to play through something, you'd, you'd go to that one? I always play the first level again, just because yeah. it has the best music. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a gorgeous looking level. Mm-hmm. Um, everything explodes really nicely uh, <laughs> and it's very well paced. Every the explosion is just like everything sounds, and it has that awesome like Sega Genesis explosion sound that just sounds. It just sounds like a Sega Genesis uh, is the best way that that I can put it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a bunch of other things that I wrote down in terms of like uh, incredible attention to detail. You guys mentioned like stuff going on in the backgrounds, the characters themselves, and this is at the same time while they're throwing like fifteen, twelve enemies on the screen at once that you're blowing up. Like there's. So much going on, and this is like, hey, I'm Kevin Larby. I like Fast and Furious. I like Crank 1 and 2. I like dumb action movies. This game was kind of like made for me because there's just constant action going on the whole time until you get to a brief like chance to catch your breath while a boss approaches, and then you get to uh, go up to the boss. But like even things like the the arm of your character shakes as you blast like you the, uh, like it shakes like it is getting the the force of the blaster like that's not something you're you're always going to see in a game and it's not just diversity of the backgrounds but you guys mentioned the the boss diversity and you not only get like your normal your mechs your your spaceships and stuff like that but you also get like these really great 3D bosses that you fight against that are not only visually impressive, but when you get to 
something like the the spaceship at the end you're 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 going into the i believe the third form of the boss is a like a kind of like a robot that's built with a bunch of different pieces and it's chasing after you it's like kind of running on a circular treadmill and it's like super intimidating like i would think if i was playing that as a kid that would scare the crap out of me i'd be super tense going up against this thing because it just looks i don't even know the best way to describe it but it's just very intimidating and very like scary 1993 robot looking that you wouldn't want to to mess with something chasing after you that's that big is, is kind of kind of crazy i I just had to point that out um also i did have one annoying thing my one annoying thing with the game is the guys that like it's always stay super close to you like they're not mini bosses but they're just guys that take a lot of hits to kill who will like constantly grab onto you and gotta grab them first I guess so, but maybe I'm just not as good at this game just yet. But a good sign is that I wanted to immediately after I beat it yesterday, I replayed it again today. <laughs> you know, there's lots of weird things the way the damage calculation works. Like uh, mm. that orange boss, uh, you know, the guy would um, – you're on that like helicopter flying through the air. Mm-hmm. Like if you time it right, you can throw him off the edge. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's – it does more damage if you throw him straight down into the helicopter, wow. like the platform. It's really weird. Hmm. Maybe just a yeah, weird balancing decision or maybe just uh, oversight. Oh, yeah. But it's just like the, the sort of like fun little strange details. And also like there's a, a cow in the background of, of black spots. That's like, what yeah. is it doing there? <laughs> yeah. It's great. There's some good homages to. Uh, well, I guess the, the only one that I really saw was the outrun signs in the in the background yes. of the fifth stage. Um, yeah, which is which is really really cool. And um, like I I feel like we're kind of jumping all over the place talking about this, but that's like the kind of game that this is, where there's just like so much stuff coming at you, and there's so many different things that you're going to get to experience in this game, not just uh, like literally every single one of the levels is is very different. Maybe the first and the uh, I guess it would be the fourth level, fourth stage, the, the last from going left to right, are, are somewhat similar. Similar, um, But you mentioned the stage where you kind of have like half a level. It's the second stage from the right. And then you go and you play the, the Dice Palace game. You have to go into the Dice Palace and you can kind of figure out which way you throw the dice. You can actually make it roll the name, same number every single time. I didn't figure that out until the second playthrough. but um, Really? Yeah, like if you throw it up, I believe it's always three. Oh, I didn't know or that. Or if you throw it right, it's always two. Or if you throw it left, it's always a one. I think you might have just got lucky on that. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but, but, yeah. Who knows? You know, uh, speaking of Gunstar Superheroes, just to get off on another yeah. fun tangent, uh, there's another similar level because that is a kind of a remake. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the things that was only in the Japanese version, there's a there's something I would say, like, if you fail this level, then we erase your save game. <laughs> And there's I a little. Go back and play that after this show. And uh, there's a little uh, like tombstone that says "R.I.P. Your Save," like something like that. Whoa, uh, that's some like they, eternal darkness levels of messed up. I don't think it ever actually did it, but I guess it must have violated Nintendo of America's policy that's what I on this sort of stuff. So they had to remove that for the American release. I'm like, oh, that's such a weirdly clever meta thing to do. Oh man, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to see if I can get a copy of this game because I really want to play it. Unfortunately, like again, it's it's one of those things that uh, I really wish was available on a um, on a virtual console at this point, but uh, not so much yet. All right, it's not too expensive. It's like twenty bucks, not a big deal. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is uh, 
a very graphically impressive game. The gameplay is is top notch for the genre, not only at the time, but like you guys said, it, it really holds up today. It's still a blast to play today. And I just um I am so surprised and I almost like feel like I've been hoarding this, like, you know, food over winter just for the right time to to play this. And I'm so happy that uh we got to play through it for for this episode. And it it's one of the very few side-scrolling action games, um, a la Contra, that I can play. Specifically, like you mentioned, because it's not one-hit kill. Like you can you can screw mm-hmm. up a bunch of times and and still go through. Where I will never play through Contra Hardcore. I'll never play through uh, Alien Wars. Like I'll never play through those games because they're just way too difficult for me, and I just don't have the patience today. Where this game almost feels like it was made for 2016. You know what I mean in terms of the play styles that people have today and the patience that we have for uh, games of, of this nature. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm glad we're all in agreement and uh, <laughs> yeah, like this is just um, a hell of a game. Even the boss rush at the end where you got, you get to like go and like, you're almost on a, a TV screen and you're, like having all the bad guys watch you on the screen in this control room and then they walk out of the control room one at a time. As soon as you beat one, like the next one walks out of the control and it's like, that's almost like a uh, running man. It's like, fine, I'm going to deal with this guy now. I'll be the one that puts him away for good. And uh, it's actually a really good. That's a really good. I was trying to think, all they can think of is like an homage to like the, the shredder fight mm. in, in Ninja Turtles. Right. Um, but yeah, that's a really good point. It, it, the whole like you're next. You beat this guy, so now you're next, and you see them actually walking out to meet you. It's almost like they, they almost have like this like walking animation. Like, fine, I'll yeah. deal with it. All right, yeah. like I don't want to, but I'll get in my giant mech and I will I will deal with this person now. Um, so yeah, God, great, great, great game. And please, for the love of God, if you have a 3ds. Go pick this up and don't be afraid to also ask Sega for a physical release. I really hope these games are too important to be lost to the eShop. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so I, I really hope that at at some point, even if it's just in Japan, make a physical release of this stuff so we can make sure we can preserve these versions. Um, as I mentioned before, they oddly are doing the uh, Sega 3D Classic Collection Volume 2 is coming out in the U.S. while only – uh, or excuse me, I should say one and two came out in Japan. Only two is coming out here in the U S physically. Uh, but maybe if this sells well enough, they'll bring one out because it can't be too much work to, to throw that stuff on a, on a card as well. Please support all that stuff that Sega is doing. It is some incredible work that they are doing. Um, any, any final words, Kurt, uh, on, on this game that you want to include in this discussion? Uh, I guess the only thing I could think of that I didn't bring up before was, uh, you know, later on, like I had uh, looked at EGM mm-hmm. and again, that they had gotten such a huge, great score, which I always thought was super impressive and always bolstered my Sega fanboyness because I always felt that EGM was like way on the Super Nintendo. Like, that, that was one of the reasons like I didn't like them as much because they were just slobbering over there. I'm like, come on. Oh, they definitely were. Yeah. Uh, so I was, that was something I was really proud of. <laughs> The, the the Game Boy Advance had uh, some really weird like Sega support. Like it had some incredible franchises come out on it, um, including like uh, you mentioned Gunstar Heroes, but also um, it was it was uh, Advanced Guardian Heroes came out. Mm-hmm. That was a weird ass game, right? Um, and even Fantasy Star Collection came out on Game Boy Advance. 
Um, just, Shining Force. Yeah, the Shining Force remake. They did uh, a couple of other Sega like compilations. There's an arcade game one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was right. one where they stuck like three random games, like I think Golden Axe, uh, Echo the Dolphin, and some other game. Uh, Mike, I believe uh, Mike, Mike, and those guys did that uh, that pack on the the Game Boy Advance. I bought it. No, I'm, I'm thinking of the Capcom one. Capcom had a GBA collection as well. Oh yeah, the one that had like Strider and Bionic Commando. Yes, uh, and Mighty Final Fight. My, yeah, and Mighty Final Fight. You're absolutely damn. Wow, what a memory. <laughs> um, yeah, Sega Arcade Gallery on the GBA with Space Harrier, Super Hang On, Outrun. Didn't they also, didn't they also do reimaginings of Altered Beast and Shinobi on the GBA? Yeah, they were all Western developed, and the they Shinobi one was bad, Jeez. and Altered Beast was not good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can also still for brand new copies for $12 of the Sega Smash Pack for Game Boy Advance that include Sonic the Hedgehog, Echo the Dolphin, and Golden Axe. They were teamed up with THQ for some reason. That's right. Correct. Distribution, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's what this, uh, I think the first time a real Puyo Puyo game came out in America mm, uh, was the Game Boy Advance. That's when they did. Uh, didn't THQ publish. I oh, know, but maybe it was a claim that published a bunch of like the PS2 Dreamcast ports. They did, yeah, yeah, like Crazy, Crazy Taxi. Taxi. Yeah, wow, that's so weird. They just got out of publishing. They just went with partners instead. Um, it's just easier because that was what they were like. All right, shutting off the Dreamcast yeah, Switch. We, we gotta we go. We gotta go third party. So <sighs> Sega, <laughs> pour pour one out for Sega. Even even today, I don't know what what is Sega doing. Another Sonic game. I mean, they own Atlas, which is cool. But please just bring out Persona Five on the Vita. B P five P bring it out. Um, <laughs> uh, so, okay. I think that's going to do it for, for this discussion. Stick around. We're going to have one more bonus segment for, for everyone out there. Um, and please stick around because you know, more video game discussion is always going to be a good thing. We'll be right back. That's right. I said, everyone, you're all going to get a bonus discussion today, but again, going forward, those will almost always be exclusive to Patreon supporters. So, never mind. Let's okay. Sorry. Here's more music. Sorry. 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 So we got a little bit of a bonus segment for for everyone out there. An hour and a half of Gunstar Heroes wasn't enough for you. Um, I think it's always good to just see where things are at for for everyone that's on the show. And of course, um, Greg, you're still plugging away at Generation 16. What what year and month are you at right now? I'm in December 1990. I'm currently working on second of 
four episodes that will finish off finish off 1990, which includes, by the way, December 1990. If you're a shooter fan, that was the month. There's yeah, like was, shooters came out on the system in that month. Technosoft was bringing the heat. Technosoft, yeah, as well as Namco, Electronic Arts, uh, yeah, a lot of companies that month. What did EA publish? Like in like side scrolling shooters? No, it was an overhead shooter. I forget the name of it. Battle Squadron. I think? Battle Squad. Yeah, that was an uh, an Amiga port. That's amazing. You you are like an encyclopedia. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. Like 1990. I think maybe is when the Genesis started getting good. It was a transitional year for that system. I mean, that was when Tom Kalinske came on board. Yeah. That was when Electronic Arts came on board. Um, that was Game Arts shows up on the system for the first time that year mm-hmm. as well. I believe Namco uh, was either that year or late the year before. But there was a lot of a lot of change happening uh, at at Sega at that point. It was really and getting set up for Sonic in six months' time. So fascinating and you know the game boy was out so the game boy was getting the best games uh, there was a game boy yes there was a game boy uh when, when did game gear come out was that 91 uh, it was 90 it was 91 in the u.s wow 90 yeah that's how they they got Kalinsky to um no no it wasn't that it was one of the things they showed him apparently yeah. uh, when he went to sega of japan right yeah. um very very cool i'm gonna get tom on the show soon tom tom is uh, a very generous man with his time and i'm just trying to find the right time to to talk to him. Um, I was talking with Blake, uh, of course, author of console wars about it. And, um, yeah, definitely have to talk to him at, at some point, man's got some amazing stories. Um, so great, great. I mean, it like sounds like generation 16 still coming along. People can be supporting it at, uh, patreon.com slash generation 16, generation 16. And yeah. And the way that I, the way that I've asked patrons to support the show is not on a monthly basis. It's when a show gets published. Right. So you're talking every few months. So the only pay if something gets produced. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and while we're talking about uh, Patreons, I always want to, uh, of course, not – I always mention Generation 16 Patreon. You know I do, Greg. So I know and I appreciate it. I, I try to make sure – and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm a supporter of both these Patreons, but also uh, patreon.com slash HG101 where you can support the hardcore gaming 101 uh, website and, and Kurt as well with all the amazing content. Like you just, you've heard Kurt talk on, on these past few episodes just about the amazing knowledge that he has on this stuff. And we need to make sure that we're supporting people that can get this stuff out onto text uh, files and, and books. I'm right in front of me right now. I have my, my Sega Arcade Classics Volume 1, which is a beautiful <laughs> color book, just the amazing quality uh, of these books and then I get to flip to a page and read about Shadow Dancer and why this game is so very important and what are the differences between this game and the Sega Genesis version because I actually really like Shadow Dancer. That's a cool game because it has a dog. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, like just these are the amazing things that you can pick up or even just like looking at what Shinobi on the uh, arcade looks like and then how that led to the port by Tengen on the NES. Um, really, really amazing uh, books that, that Kurt has put together. And he did the right thing right at the front. Outrun. Well, yeah. <laughs> did the right thing. Um, it's not it's not the very first thing covered. It's after Space Harrier, which is okay. Um, but next is Outrun. And again, just a badass book. Um, and all this stuff is just always fantastic. So, um, Kurt, thank you for continuing to put all this stuff together. Of course, I love doing it. We're going to do a treasure one someday. 
Oh yes. See, this is this is we're getting the juices flowing. If you guys want to see that treasure book, make sure that you're you're jumping on uh, that Patreon and helping support the production of this stuff. Finally, I want to talk about uh, the state of the PlayStation Vita. Give me five minutes to talk about Vita stuff because I didn't, I haven't done podcasts in a while, and I tried doing it on eight four, and my Vita discussion got shut down rather quick. So oh. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about. Basically, the discussion was, yeah, you guys don't really talk about the PlayStation Vita. Like, yeah, we do. And then we didn't talk about the PlayStation Vita. So I I tried. I tried to get in my Vita discussion. But um, I came back from Japan with three video games. They're all PlayStation Vita games, um, including uh, what we talked about on the the last time that we talked, Kurt, which was uh, Darius Burst, Chronicle Saviors, um, as well as the latest Taiko Drum Master game, which is very much a greatest hits uh, version. There are a ton of tracks. I believe there's like 80 tracks in that Vita version. Um, and what I wanted to kind of bring up is like, you know, we're not getting lots of great physical releases here in the United States um, or in Europe. But right now, uh, Amazon Japan has opened up its doors to international shipping. So then uh, specifically for video games, they've been doing it for soundtracks and books for a long time. But now you can get access to these Vita games via the uh, Amazon Japan website. And you can use your Google Chrome browser, which will translate enough of it in real time. So you can add navigator along their website. And what I wanted to do is just quickly talk about the games that you should probably pick up if you're looking to pick up some more PlayStation Vita games um, or if you're just kind of looking for some weird Japanese stuff, maybe what you should pick up. So I wanted to nominate Darius Burst, uh, Chronicle Saviors, which you can actually get for about the same price as you would play uh, pay on the PlayStation Network, but you can get a physical version, which is a cool – uh, which is actually a, like a really nice box art and stuff like that. And they, they still actually put stuff inside the box for Japan, but it is specifically how to put the cart in and out of the box. That's what the slip is now. It's, this is how you put the cart back in your plastic <laughs> case, which is, you know, important. Um, but with stuff like that and Puyo Puyo Tetris and, uh, Taiko Drum Masters, there's tons of games out there that you can pick up, uh, for the PlayStation Vita that don't really require any Japanese um, and, and Greg, I don't know. Have you looked at even checking out like any of the fantasy star online stuff that's available out there? No, I haven't. Why not? You're a Sega. I'm not, not a big fantasy star online guy, to be Whoa. honest. Okay. Fantasy star guy, original, original trilogy, OG trilogy. That's the, <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. I'm like, I love the Genesis games, but after that fantasy star, it's just over. <laughs> yeah. And, and Greg, like this is, this is, I mean, we're recording this a little bit, rather early by the time that you hear this, but uh, I, last night I saw on Twitter that you're still playing Fantasy Star 2. <laughs> where, where are you at in Fantasy Star 2? Uh, I am. I, I just passed the point where all my character, uh, all the characters in the game have finally shown up at my home. Um, I'm just, I've been grinding. And I mean, I'm still playing it, but I haven't played it in like four months. So, so how it, many, what do you have like, a, does it track hours? No. Um... I could probably figure it if I went to YouTube and, and counted the amount of, uh, of videos I have of me grinding in that game. I could probably tell you how much I've played. Okay, right. it's been it's been a long time. That game is rough, <laughs> man, expansive. Rough. Yeah. Uh, you no, know, there's an interview though um, that Smupulations did mm-hmm. a while ago, 
that's like that game has hellishly long dungeons and uh (laughs) like the the reason why was because uh the dungeon developer was like he was like a new kid and was just like too over ambitious oh no and uh (laughs) once they saw that that he was too done we're like you know what we'll just just let it It it's like it was it had a very short development cycle Mm because it was uh you know the launch window of the mega drive so yeah. they just uh, kind of backed into these gigantic dungeons they just couldn't fix. That's what so just didn't fix. Fantasy Star 2 and 3 both had really short development cycles, actually. Like when you consider the size of the games. Because Fantasy Star 3 came out pretty quickly after Fantasy Star 2. And that was developed by a different team, too. That's why. Because Fantasy Star 2 right. was mm-hmm. done by mostly the same people who did the first one on the Master System. Yeah. And then the third one was, I don't know, whoever made Sword of Vermilion, I think, because the game felt very similar to that. It was, a, it was a level, there was some participation of AM2 in Sword of Vermilion. God, AM, AM2, man. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Well, like, maybe. Maybe the question that I want to ask you guys is Fantasy Star, the, the series itself, 2, 3, and 4 specifically, obviously, since they're on the, the Mega Drive, like those are available all over the place now because of like the Sonic's All-Star Classic Collection and Sega's done a bunch of compilations and stuff like that. If someone's going to play one Fantasy Star game in that series, are they going to go to 2 or are they going to go to 4, Kurt? 4, for the love of God, go to 4. <laughs> uh, 2 yeah. is just too much of a slog in... Uh, it's got great I mean, music, it, though. it has great music. It has that great sort of cyberpunk, uh, late eighties uh, anime character designs. Mm-hmm. It does have a really cool kind of dark story, but again, there's just, there's just so much fighting you have to do. It just mm-hmm. gets so repetitive. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh man, but four, it like does almost everything two does, mm-hmm. but much better. It's such a beautifully fast paced game. Looks fantastic. Sounds fantastic. Um, it it had one of the main problems with the game is that it wraps up the Fancy Star storyline, mm-hmm. but it wasn't localized correctly. So a lot of those things end up getting lost uh, unless you know like what the correct translations were supposed to be. But otherwise, like I think that's one of the best RPGs of the 16-bit era. Like it kind of gets overshadowed by all the Super Nintendo stuff because that's where the RPG audience was. Right. But I think Fancy Star Two is like as good as like. Uh, Fantasy Star Four, I should say, is mm-hmm. as good as like Final Fantasy Four and uh, a lot of those games. Yeah, I would, I would say that's that's fair. And and I mean, hey, if you were one of the people who was playing RPGs on the Super Nintendo, Fantasy Star Four would be a real treat. I I'm I'm always really blown away by by how much Fantasy Star is is still such an important thing for the Japanese audience. Like it's still Fantasy Star stuff, not just like online, but Fantasy Star stuff in general from like the mega drive or whatever is all over the like Tokyo. Like you see the stuff all over the place in stores really? still all over the place. Um, and that's why I, I wanted to, to bring that up. And I, I want to mention like, if you want to get a really easy portable version of this, the PSP version of the Sega Genesis classics collection um, is, I don't know if this was like that weird. You guys remember there was like a two, like a one week period where like every PSP game started working on the PlayStation Vita. Yeah. Oh, it was like yeah. It was like a spring. day where somebody yeah. like hit the button and they shouldn't have. Yeah, they, like, they didn't. They forgot the licensing thing and they just hit the wrong button. And I downloaded that on my PlayStation Vita. So that's probably still the best way to play Fantasy Star Four. And um, it's, it's yeah, just that quick. Like you can, as we were talking, you can jump into that classics collection and unlock an interview, and then you get to. Hear this awesome song. Oh, God, that intro song is so great. Yeah. That was, we did that on the um, the Sega Genesis music episode 
Um, that was like the one song. Like I haven't played any Fantasy Star games, but this song came up uh, in like the soundtrack series that I bought. And wow, that game is just like oh, that 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 intro track is just it's just nuts. It's so good. And the first time my, my parents got a computer that could burn CDRs, <laughs> you know, I hooked up my Genesis to uh, you know the, the computer sound card, Hell recorded the yeah. whole soundtrack on the sound test, and then like I even uh, made my own cover art and stuff like that for it and printed out. Because at that time, there was no Fancy Star 4 release. There was like a, there's something that had like arranged music that mm-hmm. was some obscure album from Japan, but no OST. And there is one now, but at the time, it was just oh, so good. Load up that Nero burning ROM. Get that, that you know, disc. <laughs> yeah, <burn>. Nero. <laughs> yeah, remember Nero and, and Roxio? You gotta, oh, yeah. I was, I was Nero all the way, man. Nero, oh my Nero God. Nero yeah. way better. Nero burning ROM all the day, all the way. <laughs> Trying to remember, I'm, I'm actually, I just fired up the, the Sega, uh, the PSP, um, Sega Classics Collection because I want to see if this is one of the versions of, uh, Fantasy Star 2 that actually doubles the experience points, but I don't think it is. Oh, weird. Yeah. Because there is a version that does that. Really? Yeah. I, I think it might have been the remake that was done on the P, on the PlayStation 2, but, um, oh. I, yeah, there's a, the PS2 one when they did a they did a whole bunch of uh, hacks that would enable yes. sorts of stuff. And I I don't, I don't remember maybe it was MT that did it, but I, the only reason I even really realized it is because um, the guys over at My Life in Gaming recently did a um, a Fantasy Star Two episode, and that was how Corey, who produced the episode, played it, which mm. it makes it sound so much more playable. In that, yeah, basically you get double experience points for everything. That would be the way to play it. <laughs> I yeah. think they uh, they even like put a. Uh, Options to like walk faster and things like that. Cause that was so. the default in Fancy Star 4. Uh, they saw tacked on. Yeah, that's one of the things they did. Uh, M2, when they re release them, they sometimes do bug fixes also. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I don't remember if it was four or two, but like if you somehow go over level 99, like you'll screw up something. Uh, and they fix that. Fantasy Star kill screen. Yeah. Um, Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that was a way better discussion than I even thought possible that we were going to have. Um, again, PlayStation Vita, awesome device for, for a lot of things and not just that, you know, the PlayStation one RPG stuff that I keep talking, uh, that we're mentioning that we're going to talk about down the, the line. Um, also Make sure to get Axiom Verge. Well, I was, you read my goddamn mind. That was the <laughs> next word coming out of my mouth is that, uh, I've been playing Axiom Verge and not only does it play incredibly well on the PlayStation Vita, but, um, I'm talking to the, uh, limited, uh, run guys, the, uh, what's the, um, limited run games. Uh, I've been emailing back and forth with those guys they are actually, uh, one of them is at PAX right now. So, um, I believe it is, uh, as I'm looking at this, uh, Douglas is at PAX. So as soon as he's back, I'm going to talk to Josh and Douglas from limited run games. And the first thing I'm going to be asking them is, uh, why aren't you harassing the developer of Axiom Verge to get a physical release of that game? Here is $40. I am going to just deposit your PayPal account. Send me a game when it's ready. Um, uh, I've been wanting to get like IndieBox is this company. They put out uh, like box releases of different PC games. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're like very limited run and you have to get it during the specific window. Yes. And it did one for Axiom Verge back in October and I missed it. Uh, so now everything is like $150 on eBay and Axiom Verge is such a good game that that's definitely something I'd want to own. I I was kind of hoping because they were selling some of their old ones at PAX this weekend that they would bring that, that one. But I guess it's it's all gone. I I was, uh, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. If Limited Run did that, I would definitely pick up one of those. Well, I have an alert set up for the the Odd World uh, release coming up, and that's like this is a really good sign where they've like sold out all this stuff in in seconds. They just need to. I mean, it's one of the questions I'm going to ask him is being like, you know, you obviously you take a big risk when you invest this money into producing this stuff, but luckily they take they take pre orders, so they kind of have an idea of how many to produce. So is it is it a possibility where you could just say, all right, well, let's just open up pre-orders for two weeks. Uh, let's just see how many orders we get. But if you don't pre-order it in this, these two weeks, then we just, we can't do it for you. But that way you're at least not seeing like, I haven't played these games, like, but Sunday morning, like RPG and stuff like that, which I mean, it's, it's sure it's like a great game. I haven't played it, but the game's going for like $120 on eBay now for the physical version. Um, mm. So there's clearly a market for this stuff and it's just really Awesome. Like again, those are that's something that I want to champion. If I can do it, you know, by talking to them about the cool process that they must have to go through to make this happen, but also spread the word of what they're doing to make it uh, more more popular, so they can continue to do this stuff. Um, it's a really rad thing. Um, also, I wanted to mention this game uh, called Uppers. That is, uh, I mentioned for two seconds on again the A Four Play podcast for. The, the discussion was moved on, but, um, this is a weird se- kind of like pseudo, uh, pseudo sequel to like, I think it's like Ken Jabanjo or something like that. Oh, Ken Kabanjo. Ken Kabanjo, I think. On the, yeah, on the P- PSP. Um, yeah, there are a bunch of games from, I think, from Spike. Right. And this so. is, this is another game that's on my, my Vita, uh, as well. But, oh, wait. Sorry, as I opened my Vita, more <laughs> stuff for <worse, right? laughs> But uh, yeah, that's that's a game that just looks like really, really rad. Uh, yeah, it's Kenka Bancho, Badass Rumble on the PlayStation Vita and PlayStation Portable, excuse me. And uh, this is a sequel that's coming out and it's available for pre-order. They kind of pushed it back because they didn't get enough pre-orders when they were putting the, the, the game together. I guess they wanted to wait just to make sure it is profitable. But it is a game that very much looks like it will not require... Uh, a lot of English, but you know, there's just uh, a great uh, selection of games that are coming out just in Japan or physical in Japan, including Hotline Miami, where you can get a physical version of that for about twenty bucks, um, which is just a awesome box art. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not buying it while I was out there, but again, it's just a click away if you want to order it on uh, Amazon or eBay and get it shipped to you. So, yeah, that's a hell of a discussion. That's a great final uh segment for for all this stuff just a lot of cool stuff going on in video games today uh action verge which i'm like a half an hour into and i was so i bought it on the the playstation 4 not to play it on the playstation 4 i bought it specifically and i met the developers at last packs and they gave me like a coupon for five dollars off when i bought it on uh psn and I said, I'm buying this game, but I'm buying this game because you guys are bringing it to the PlayStation Vita, right? And like, yeah, we're absolutely bringing it to the PlayStation Vita. And then I think it was maybe three or four months ago, Greg, when I was on the Player One podcast, and I'm like, I was all down on the PlayStation Vita. And I was like, hey, you know, remember they said like the Action Verge guys said they were going to bring it on the Vita? Where is that? Like they're not even saying anything. Um, and I was being a butthead. And You're a bit salty, yeah. <laughs> I was I was super salty because I'm like, you guys, like this is – this is a great console. This is my favorite portable console of all time, by far. Like, it just destroys everything else out there. It's a great hardware, especially if you have neon orange or white like I do. And the the thing that, like, was just bugging me is, like, yeah, like, you, you, got, you make these promises. You got to keep them, um, especially, like, you, you kind of lose all uh, – all not, like, respect. But, you know, they came through. They came through. It took about a year to do it. 
But uh, from what I've seen so far, it's a fantastic port. It is a great port of the game. Uh, runs really, really well on the PlayStation Vita. And I just, I can't wait to play it. It's literally the next thing I'm going to play uh, along with Ease Memories of Salsetta is my next uh, my next two games up on the on the lineup. So is, is Ease too new of a game to talk about on this show, even though it's a remake of four? I oh, can't no. keep up with the Ease stuff. <laughs> No, East in general is a great topic. Okay, so I think what I might do is enlist some people to play through Ease Memories of Salsetta on the Vita and use that as an excuse to not only play it but talk about it on this show since it is technically a remake of – I believe it was 4, right? It's a remake of 4? Yeah, it's a remake of 4 which had – it was – Oh God, the history behind that game. <laughs> There's like four <laughs> different versions of that game and they're all like drastically different. Okay. You search Ease 4 on Google. Uh, second listing from the top, Ease 4 on Hardcore Gaming 101, <laughs> the story of Ease 4. And it is a long chap. Oh man. That, and soundtrack. Oh, it's a super, C- uh, super, uh, what were these to call it? Like super CD on the, uh, PC engine. Uh, yeah. It was PC engine, super Famicom, PS2, and then the Vita version. Okay, yeah. Um, that's a good excuse, man. I'm looking at all this. Oh, look at uh, E7 is one of my favorite games of all time. So that's kind of like it plays very similar to E7. So I'm pumped about it. Yeah. That. So Spells, Memories of Cellside is basically a better seven. Oof. Tell me it's a better seven. Damn it. I <laughs> have, I you played Fel- have you played Felgana yet? Uh, I found that to be too hard. Oh, because that's like the pinnacle of E. It's my favorite one. Oh, okay, well. I have lots of ease to play. Again, PlayStation Vita, your home of ease games. If you want to play one, two, Falgana, seven, or uh, Salsetta. So there's plenty of ease to be had. And I also picked up the soundtrack, the two disc soundtrack CD when I was out in Japan uh, last week because the ease soundtracks are always just, or any of the Falcom like soundtracks, always just badass, like ripping, kick ass RPG music that you want to, you know, slash swords with so um we will see maybe uh dogi and uh his companion uh adol in a future episode this is going way too long guys i'm keeping you way too long on a saturday so i'm not going to do that anymore i'm going to wrap this show up so i can go outside go for a bike ride and you guys can enjoy the rest of your weekend i want to thank Greg and Kurt so much for for coming on this show uh so quickly you may notice that i'm recording a couple in advance just to make sure that we can continue to bring this ep- uh, show to you uh, every single week uh, on the FitCast, uh, excuse me, FitCast.network. You can get all the podcasts that I produce on there. You can still go to backofmyplay.com. I really hope that you go to hardcoregaming101.net and just check that website out. Literally, you know, multiple times a week, you're seeing great new content on there. As of right now, uh, we were talking a little bit about this off air, but Tattoo Assassins right at the top of the page. And you should probably read about Data East Tattoo Assassins and its incredible take on the Mortal Kombat formula. Just the screenshots alone. What is coming out of this poor Hannah's butt <laughs> is ridiculous. So you need to go check all that stuff out. And man, I just need to, uh, was this arcade only? Yeah. And it was never really released technically. Oh, it was unreleased. Yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. It was, uh, oh, they man. made it and it, uh, there was some I designed think, by John Carpenter. <laughs> what? Uh, I don't think it's the same, you know, oh, okay. the musician John Carpenter, but, uh, there was an arcade cabinet at some, uh, I don't know the artist of my books. He played it. It's like one of the only surviving arcade cabinets. Probably at, uh, California extreme. I'm guessing it was probably the, 
no, it's in the it's in the mid Midwest, somewhere oh, like in Ohio Chicago. or something oh, like okay. that. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, don't even, we're not going to talk about this right now. You should be going to the website and and checking it out. And again, I mentioned the the Patreons. Check all that stuff on there. You can also make sure uh, that you stay up to date on all the stuff that Kurt has going on at at hg underscore one hundred one uh, on Twitter. And you can also check out Greg's stuff. Greg's always doing tons of stuff, not just Generation 16, but the Player One podcast where they talk about new games, which is like super, I don't know, like boring. New games are okay, but like who wants to hear about Final Fantasy 15 when you can talk about Final Fantasy 5? That's what I'm talking about. So you can go... I don't disagree. Yeah, you can go check out... Uh, do you guys think... Or, uh, Greg, do you think any of you guys are going to play 15? I feel like I'm going to play it for an hour and then never talk about it again. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yep. If they release it for the PC, maybe, but I don't know. 13 was just so bad. Yep. Uh, well, you know the music of 13 too? It's oh, bitching. It's so good. Oh, yeah. They did good work <laughs> with the music on that, but mm, uh, everything else. I will. That that might be one of my favorite soundtracks. And it, what's got me into uh, the, the composer of Final Fantasy 13 2 also did the music for uh, Saga Frontier 2, um, which is also great. And also the music for Legend of Legacy on the 3DS. Um, all fantastic soundtracks. Games, maybe not so much. Uh, but the soundtracks are, are really, really good. The same composer also did uh, lots of tracks for Final Fantasy 13. Uh, Masashi Hamaazu. Uh, I'm probably destroying that. But go check out those soundtracks. They're available on iTunes and all your other places. I can't end this episode. I can't. It's, it's, I'm doing a really bad job. But um, check out, uh, of course, Generation – is it generation-16.com? Yep. And you can check out uh, player1podcast.com for the new stuff. And it's, almost, and it's almost as old as the Fitcast. Maybe it's as old as the Fitcast. Um, Maybe we're coming up on episode 500. So Yeah, so it's about 10 years for, for both of yeah. us. And, uh, of course, you can make sure that you are – uh, checking out all the great stuff that we've mentioned before uh, at the websites that I mentioned, uh, backmyplay.com, also fitcast.network to get all the podcasts that are produced crossing a bunch of different genres and a bunch of different guests going across all those shows. And uh, I will mention just since it, it recently came out, um, Taito Arcade Classics, uh, the Hardcore Gaming 101 Digest Volume 2. Uh, again, another fantastic book that has come out uh from kurt and it is available right now as of i'm talking about this 18 dollars for this book um buy it now because usually the prices kind of go up a little bit buy it right now buy it while it's new um because amazon's always messing with prices five dollars on the kindle that's why i didn't just buy it once i bought it twice because still for under 25 dollars, i always have it with me on my kindle and i have that nice awesome and it's like it's it's not like uh, I don't even know how to mention like the size, but it's just like the perfect size to like sit on the couch. I'm flipping through it right now, and even in the start Sega Arcade Classics, we got Power Drift in here. I got to read that before we talk about the next episode, Greg. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of great stuff, so check all that out. And uh, again, Kurt, thank you so much for for taking the time to chat about some old video games. Of course, thank you. I love doing it so. And Greg, uh, it's good to talk to you again. It's been a long time since we've talked. Too uh, long. It's been too long. And uh, maybe you can uh, check out some uh, – or maybe you'll be, you'll be on the next episode as well. But uh, lots of great stuff coming up on, on Back of My Play, including talking about that 3D Classics collection coming to the United States as well as 
uh, Sega Saturn soundtracks. I also have Shinobi 1, 2, and 3 up on my board. I also have Sega, uh, Sega CD. Yeah. <laughs> Sega CD discussion, uh, which whatever that's going to be, um, <laughs> how, how to talk people in, in or out of getting a Sega CD in 2016. Uh, lots of great stuff coming up. So uh, thank you so much, Greg. Thank you for the invite. Appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this super long extended episode, this two-hour episode of Back in My Play. Thank you so much for for joining us this episode. Continue to bring you more awesome retro game stuff every single Friday on the FitCast Network. So thank you for for checking all this stuff out. We will uh, catch you next time. Here's some more great video game music if you haven't heard enough already.